0: This week, we are bringing you four encores of our favorite episodes of the last few months. Thanks to all of our listeners for a great year and happy holidays. Welcome to Thoughts in the Market. I'm Andrew Sheets, Morgan Stanley's Chief Cross-Asset Strategist. And I'm Seth Carpenter, Morgan Stanley's Global Chief Economist. And on this special two-part episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing Morgan Stanley's Global Year Ahead Outlook for 2023. Today, we'll focus on economics and tomorrow we'll turn our attention to strategy. It's Tuesday, November 15th at 3 p.m. in London. And it's 10 a.m. in New York. So, Seth, I think the place to start is that if we look ahead into 2023, the backdrop that you and your team are forecasting looks different in a number of important ways. You know, 2022 was a year of surprisingly resilient growth, stubbornly high inflation, and aggressively tightening policy. And as we look ahead, all three of those elements are changing. I was hoping you could comment on that shift broadly and also dig deeper into what's changing the growth outlook for the global economy into next year. You're right, Andrew. This year in 2022, we've seen growth sort of hang in there.
1: We came off of last year in 2021, a super strong year for growth, recovering from COVID. But... The theme this year really has been a great deal of inflation around the world, especially in developed markets. And with that, we've seen a lot of central banks everywhere start to raise interest rates a great deal. So what does that mean as we end this year and go into next year? Well, we think we'll start to see a bit of a divergence. In the developed market world, where we've seen both a lot of inflation and a lot of central bank hiking, we think we get a great deal of slowing and, in fact, a bit of contraction. For the euro area and for the UK, we're writing down a recession starting in the fourth quarter of this year and going into the beginning of next year. And then after that, any sort of recovery from the recession is going to be muted by still tight monetary policy. For the US, you know, we're writing down a forecast that just barely skirts a recession for next year with growth that's only slightly positive. That much slower growth is also the reflection of the Federal Reserve tightening policy, trying to wrench out of the system all the inflation we've seen so far. In sharp contrast, a lot of EM is going to outperform, especially EM Asia, where the inflationary pressures have been less so far this year. And central banks, instead of tightening aggressively to get restrictive and squeeze inflation out, they're actually just normalizing policy. And as a result, we think they'll be able to outperform.
0: And Seth, you know, you mentioned inflation coming in hot throughout a lot of 2022 being one of the big stories of the year that we've been in. You and your team are forecasting it to moderate across a number of major economies. What drives a change in this really important theme from 2022?
1: Absolutely. We do realize that inflation is going to continue to be a very central theme for all sorts of markets everywhere. And the fact that we have a forecast with inflation coming down across the world is a really important part of our thesis. So how can we get any comfort on the idea that inflation is going to come down? I think if you break up inflation into different parts, it makes it easier to understand. When we're thinking about headline inflation, clearly we have food, commodity prices, and we've got energy prices that have been really high in part of the story this year. Oil prices have generally peaked, but the main point is we're not going to see the massive month-on-month and year-on-year increases that we're seeing for a lot of this year. Now, when we think about core inflation, I like to separate things out between goods and services inflation. For goods, the story over the past year and a half has been global supply chains. And we know, looking at all sorts of data, that global supply chains are not fixed yet, but they are getting better. The key exception there that remains to be seen is automobiles, where we have still seen supply chain issues. But by and large, we think consumer goods are going to come down in price and with it pull inflation down overall. I think the key then is what goes on in services. And here, the story is just different across different economies because it is very domestic. But the key here is if we see the kind of slowing down in economies, especially in developed market economies where monetary policy will be restrictive, we should see less aggregate demand, weaker labor markets, and with it, lower services inflation.
0: How do you think central banks respond to this backdrop? The Fed is going to have to balance what we see as some moderation of inflation and the ECB as well with obvious concerns that because forecasting inflation was so hard this year and because central banks underestimated inflation, they don't want to back off too soon and and usher in maybe more inflationary pressure down the road. So how do you think central banks will think about that risk balance and, and managing that? Absolutely. We have seen some surprises to the upside in terms of commodity market
1: prices, but we've also been surprised at just the persistence of some of the components of inflation. And so central banks are very well advised to be super cautious with what's going on. As a result, what we think is going to happen is a few things. Policy rates are going to go into restrictive territory. We will see economy slowing down. And then we think, in general, central banks are going to keep their policy in that restrictive territory, basically over the balance of 2023, making sure that that deceleration in the real side of the economy goes along with a continued decline in inflation over the course of next year. If we get that, then that will give them scope at the end of next year to start to think about normalizing policy back down to something a little bit more neutral. But they really will be paying lots of attention to make sure that the forecast plays out as anticipated. However, where I want to stress things is in the euro area, for example, where we see a recession already starting about now, we don't think the ECB is going to start to cut rates just because they see the first indications of a recession all of the indications from the ECB have been that they think some form of recession is probably necessary and they will wait for that to happen. They'll stay in restrictive territory while the economy is in recession to see how inflation evolves over time.
0: So, Seth, I think one of the questions at the top of a lot of people's minds is something you alluded to earlier this question of whether or not the US sees a recession next year. So, why do you think a recession being avoided is a plausible scenario? Indeed, it might be more likely than a recession in contrast maybe to some of that recent history.
1: Absolutely, let's talk about this in a few parts. First, in the U.S., relative to say the Euro area, most of the slowing that we are seeing now in the economy and that we expect to see over time is coming from monetary policy tightening. In the Euro area, a lot of the slowing in consumer spending is coming because food prices have gone up, energy prices have gone up, and confidence has fallen. And so it's an externally imposed constraint on the economy. What that means for the U.S. is because the Fed is causing the slowdown, they've at least got a fighting chance of backing off in time before they cause a recession. So that's one component. I think the other part to be made that's perhaps even more important is the difference between a recession or not at this point is almost semantic. We're looking at growth that's very, very close to zero. And if you're in the equity market, in fact, it's going to feel like a recession, even if it's not technically one for the economy. The U.S. economy is not the S&P 500. And so what does that mean? That means that the parts of the U.S. economy that are likely to be weakest, that are likely to be in contraction, are actually the ones that are most exposed to the equity market. And so for the equity market, whether it's a recession or not, I think is a bit of a moot point. So where does that leave us? I think we can avoid a recession from an economist's perspective. I think we can end up with growth that's still positive, but it's not going to feel like we've completely escaped from this whole episode unscathed.
0: Thanks, Seth. So I maybe wanted to close with talking about risks around that outlook. I wanted to talk about maybe one risk to the upside and then two risks that might be more serious to the downside. So one of the risks to the upside that investors are talking about is whether or not China relaxes zero COVID policy Well, two risks to the downside would be that quantitative tightening continues to have much greater negative effects on market liquidity and market functioning. We're going through a much faster shrinking of central bank balance sheets that, you know, at any point in history. And then also that maybe a divided U.S. government leads to a more challenging fiscal situation next year. So, you know, as you think about these risks that you hear investors citing, China, quantitative tightening, divided government. How do you think about those? How do you think they might change the base case view? Absolutely. I think there
1: are two-way risks, as usual. I do think in the current circumstances, the upside risks are probably a little bit smaller than the downside risks, not to sound too pessimistic. So what would happen when China lifts those restrictions? I think aggregate demand will pick back up And our baseline forecast, that happens in the second quarter, but we can easily imagine that happening in the first quarter or or maybe even sometime this year. But remember, most of the pent-up demand is on domestic spending, especially on services. And so what that means is the benefit to the rest of the global economy is probably going to be smaller than you might otherwise think because it'll be a lot of domestic spending. Now, there hasn't been As much constraint on exports but there has been some and so we could easily see supply chains heal even more quickly than we assume in the baseline i think all of these phenomena could lead to a rosier outlook could lead to a faster growth for the global economy but i think it's measured just in a couple of tenths it's not a substantial upside in contrast you mentioned some downside risks to the outlook. Quantitative tightening. Central banks are shrinking their balance sheets. We recently published on the fact that the Fed, the Bank of England, and the European Central Bank will all be shrinking their balance sheet over the next several months. That's never been seen, at least at the pace that we're going to see now. Could it cause market disruptions? Absolutely. So the downside risk there is very hard to gauge. If we see a disruption of. The flow of credit, if we see a generalized pullback in spending because of risk, it's very hard to gauge just how big that downside is. I will say, however, that I suspect, as we saw with the Bank of England when we had the turmoil in the guilt market, if there is a market disruption, I think central banks will at least temporarily pause their quantitative tightening if the disruption is severe enough and give markets a chance to settle down. The other risk you mentioned is the United States has just had a midterm election. It looks like we're going to have divided government. Where are the risks there? I want to take you back with me in time to the midterm elections in 2010, where we ended up with split government. And eventually what came out of that was the Budget Control Act of 2011. We had split government, we had a debt limit, we ended up having budget debates, and ultimately we ended up with contractionary fiscal policy. I think that's a very realistic scenario. It's not at all our baseline, but
0: it's a very realistic risk that people need to pay attention to. Seth, thanks for taking the time to talk. Andrew, I always like getting a chance to talk to you. And thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for part two of this episode where Seth and I will discuss Morgan Stanley's year ahead strategy outlook. If you enjoy Thoughts of the Market, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with a friend or colleague today. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you.